Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 17 and go to verse 22. Verse 17 starts, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who uh, had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in, sense, and in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to live and experience the day that you have given us. Lord, we ask that you would bless the rest of our service this morning. Uh, you would bless Pastor Doug as he comes and shares your word. And Lord, that you would bless each and every one of us here uh, as we hear your word this morning. Lord, I ask that you would be with each and every one of our volunteers and all of our different ministries. Lord, give them patience and give them uh, your, your wisdom and give them your joy as they uh, work within your economy, Lord, to further your kingdom and to tell of how much you love us, Lord. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we begin in our trustworthy, I trust to your hearts, a message from God's word. We have some gifts for Zoe. So Zoe, if you want to come up here with me, I have some gifts I need to give to you. Praise 
I had a professor at Lancaster Bible College who would maybe would have seen this baptism service this morning and he would have probably disdained it because Zoe didn't get completely wet. Well, he's in glory now and he's finding out he's wrong. Yeah. At least Zoe got in the water. <laughs> and I say that with all due respect to all of you, that some of you maybe haven't gotten in the water. And here was a little girl who showed you what it's all about. We'll have another baptism service, Lord willing, in the spring. But if you've never been baptized... And you'd have questions about it. Pastor Steve, myself, the elders, we are available to answer any question that you have. And we'd love to have a lineup where it would take up the whole service of people just saying their testimonies to Jesus. So thank you, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. A couple of prayer requests I, I need to bring to your attention and before we begin. The first one is happening this Wednesday. Uh, we have a gravesite service for our dear departed Dawn, sister in the Lord, Dawn, as she's moving on to glory. The moment she took her last breath here, she began to breathe heaven's air. And I can't imagine how fresh that was. But I'd appreciate prayer for the service Wednesday morning at the gravesite. Pray for the families that are affected by it and that the Lord would be honored and glorified. Other prayer request, too, has to do with uh, Paul Billow's uh, sister. Uh, Bev, her name is, and uh, she's been diagnosed with a form of cancer. There is a time of autop or a biopsy that they're going to take and then begin, if you will, treatment for this kind of cancer. So I know that Paul and Ginny and Bev would appreciate your prayer requests, your prayers for them. And so let's, let's pray together, shall we? God, I can't think of a better way to begin a service than to hear a little girl who by all pretense and all physical limitations, the doctor said, and she would never speak. But that wasn't your plan. Your plan was to use this little girl, Zoe, who's going into the sixth grade, who I'm sure doctors would even say that she'd never make it there. But here's a little girl that has told us all this morning and has reverberated that into the very halls of heaven that she loves Jesus. Oh, she also included other individuals in the congregation, and I was fortunate to be named one of them, but she loving Jesus is the most important. And she's reminded us all 
That's where our love should be. No matter what the world may throw at us, our testimony should always be that Jesus loves me and I love him. And yet it's our privilege even here this morning to remember other requests. One being them for the Lenker family. I pray God that you're already ministering to their hearts, to the depths of their souls, bringing to them comfort and peace at a time that has stricken them. There is joy in their hearts. I know that. I've heard that. But there's still moments of loneliness, moments of wonder, times of memories, pictures that remind them of a once strong young lady. And now Dawn is in your presence. All that chained her here of infirmity has been unlocked in your, in your presence. She's walking in heaven's air. She's strengthened by heaven's power. And the best thing is what Zoe reminds us, she's seeing Jesus. But I pray for the family. I pray for the extended family. As this Wednesday we say so long, I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would yearn to know the same Savior, the same depth of the Savior as what Dawn did. I, too, ask on behalf of Paul and Jenny for Paul's sister, Bev. And she, too, faces a storm. She faces a life situation that I'm sure she never even considered would happen to her. But at the same time, it is here. I ask, O oh God, for a peace that passes all understanding that will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And as she goes through the medical procedures, I pray that you would give her a peace and a strength and also a resolve that totally honors you. Prepare Paul and Jenny as I'm sure they're going to face onslaughts of questions. But may their words be, as Peter describes for us, gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. For they too will give an answer of the hope that lies within them. And so Lord, we thank you for your intervening in these two situations that we've talked about. And yet, I ask, O oh God, for a clarity of speech, of thought, and also of purpose as we come once again to your word, that you would bless it as you said you would. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot nor tittle will pass away from your word. It is founded upon eternality because it comes from our eternal God. And in it we find words of hope 
and of faith and of trust. And so to you be the honor and glory, Lord, as we spend these moments. I pray, O oh God, that you would work in our midst to strengthen our walk by faith as we focus upon you. And for this we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. In each one of our homes, I'm, I'm sure your home is like mine in many ways, there's a wall of pictures. And we have that in the parsonage in our living room, pictures of all of our children as they graduated from high school. But we also have pictures of them from their weddings. We have pictures of family members that have come and have gone. But the most important pictures are lined on a bookshelf. Our 11 grandchildren, can I get an amen from the congregation? Because they're the ones that you can jack up and send home. Our children, we made sure we kept them from Red Bull and cotton candy. But our grandchildren, they can have whatever they want. But each one of these pictures, though, carries with it a time. It carries with it an event. That as you look at the picture, you are instantly transported to that place. Sometimes the same thing happens to us when we sing a particular hymn or, or worship song. It, it takes us back to a time of when we first heard it and how it was connected, if you will, to an individual. My stepdad's favorite song was Amazing Grace. And so every time we sing that here, when every time I sing it to myself or as we sing it as a congregation, I'm instantly transported back to the years where he cared enough to marry my mom, who already had three children. And he raised us, and I'm grateful that he trusted Christ. And I'm grateful for the impact he placed in us. I, I, I smell sometimes of things that my, my wife makes, and I'm instantly transported back to a time of, of history where I'd be sitting at my mom's table or my grandmother's table, and I was instantly reminded of them. When we come to the book of Hebrews chapter, specifically chapter 11, we're allowed to see portraits. We don't get to know them completely because in some ways, parts of their lives are left off. For whatever reason, under God's providence, he had the author of Hebrews that sometimes concise a life into just a few sentences. And we're left there asking ourselves the question, why is that here? For what purpose is it? Well, we know the overarching purpose of the book of Hebrews is to first of all give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. That's how chapter 1 begins. It says that sundry times God has spoken to us through his prophets and angels, but now he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. So it highlights him. 
And yet, as we go along, we understand there's this undergirding, if you will, foundation, this, this stream that is flowing, because the people that he's writing to are struggling. They're being buffeted. They're being chastised. They're being laughed at. They're being mocked. And they've gotten to that point, as we have seen in our earlier studies, that they may even feel like, look, it's better just to give up. It's better just to go and hide. In fact, the baton that I'm supposed to pass on to the next generation, I'm just going to lay it on the ground, and if you want it, there it is. And so the author of Hebrews has spent great task and energy to remind us of things, whereby to encourage us. And when it comes to our faith, when the times that we just want to say, I give up, I've been there. You, some are there. Some of you understand what I'm saying. There's moments in our lives when we say, what's the use? What's the use of following Jesus if all of this is happening? I, I just as soon walk away from it. And that's nothing new because there's an author that writes to us in the book of Psalms who has the same thing. He says, God, why are you blessing all of these unrighteous people and righteous people seem to suffer? What's the use of this? Well, and so the author begins in chapter 11 to focus through portraits of individuals what it is to walk by faith. We're going to pick up the latter part of, if you will, Abraham's walk of faith. It's highlighted for us. In fact, if you wish to follow along, you can, it, it, it'd be good for you to turn back to Genesis chapter 22. We won't have time to do that, but I'll give you that for homework if you wish to look at it later. But in Genesis chapter 22, there is a portrait of this picture that doesn't make sense. The tone, if you will, goes from a brightness to almost a darkness now. And it jumps out at us almost in a 3D institution. Here the author is writing concerning Genesis chapter 22. When God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Now, how in the world do we even begin to justify that in our thinking? Because when you go back to Genesis, you will realize, specifically, if you will, when you go back to the earlier chapters, specifically chapter 21, where God says to Abraham that through Isaac... Through Isaac, this son who you've waited for a long time, through him, the blessing to bless the earth, the blessing to have innumerable, if you will, family members, it's going to come through him. And now we're faced with a dilemma. Then why? Would God tell him to kill him? Chapter 22. 
Isaac now is, he, he's at least in his middle teenage years. In fact, he's getting awful close to the years of 20s. So he's not a young child. We, we have to gather at least a little bit that Sarah and Abraham have been telling him of the things that God has done for them. And you might remember some of those yourself. How God told Abram, get up from your hometown, leave it, leave all the security you got, and go to a place that I will show you. And he did. You might remember through biblical, and through Sunday school, at least I hope, that it was Abraham and Lot, and there was this decision Who's going to take the good land? Who's going to take the hills and the rocks and the stones? And you know the outcome of that story. And yet here we are, that I'm sure Abraham and Sarah have shared with Isaac, do you know how old we were when God said you're coming? And here you are. You are a blessing of God. Now you come to chapter 22, and it begins by this command. Go and kill your son. How can we even begin to understand that? I mean, literally knowing that the blessings of God, the promises of God, were to come through Isaac. Well, what are those promises? Well, God promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Genesis chapter 17, and then you go to chapter 22. A reminder. The next blessing is God promised Abraham that his posterity would be as numerous as the uncountable as the sands of the seashore. Again, Genesis chapter 13. So how is it that these two promises, Abraham has to be thinking of this, how is it that these two promises may very well be coming to an end? Ah, but if you read too quickly Genesis chapter 22, you miss the important point. The commentary is given to us in Hebrews chapter 11. Specifically in chapter, in verse 17 and 18. Where Abraham even believed that God would raise him from the dead. We don't get those exact words when you come to Genesis chapter 22. But it's pretty close. For you might remember that as Abraham and Isaac are walking toward the mountain. They don't go there alone. They take some servants with them. And as they get to the foot of that mountain, Abraham turns to his servants and he says, Boys, this is as far as you go. You stay here. For when my son and I have finished our business with God, we will come back to you. Did you catch it? We 
will come back to you. There's the clue. There's the instantaneous clue from the scriptures that Abraham knew what seemed to be impossible. God was up to something. Have you found yourself in that situation once in a while? Someone help me out. Shake your head up and down. Not as if you're sleeping, but at least let me know you're awake. There are times in our lives when the promises don't seem to match the situations. The situations of life sometimes overshadow, overcloud, bear down upon the promises of God. And we wonder, God, what are you up to? How is it you're going to come through this, let alone asking me to do something that doesn't make any sense? One of the Old Testament favorites of mine, I've, I've come to understand him a little bit better. He, he was one of David's mighty men. His name was Jabeth. And when you come across him, I'm just enticing you to search for him. When you come across him, he does something that makes no sense. He jumped in a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. How many of you would do that? I'm running the other way and he's going into the pit. Now you got to realize that all he took with him was a short spear. That's all he had. And yet it was there that he came crawling up out of the pit. Maybe some scratch marks. Maybe, we're not told. But as he came out, he became the head of the palace guard. Sometimes God's got to take us to a pit. Sometimes he has to take us to a mountain. But in either case, what he's doing is he's preparing us for a faith walk that maybe we wouldn't think we could do. Abraham went to the top of the mountain. Now, you, now you've got to at least look at this picture and wonder, what in the world was Isaac doing? Abraham con constructs this altar of rough stones, which, by the way, in the scriptures, you will never see an altar that's to God that isn't structured of uncut stones. Cut stones mean that the man is making his own religion. God said, no, no, you'll take what I got and make an altar. So Abraham makes this altar. He puts the word on. And when you go to chapter 22 of Genesis, that's your homework. You'll find out that Isaac asks a question. I see the altar. I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the sacrifice? The text tells us that as his father was tying his legs and his arms together, he didn't struggle. I kind of wonder, 
Maybe Isaac also knew that God was up to something big. That's, in this particular faith walk, parents, what are you teaching your children about God? Are you instructing them that when they face hard decisions of life, are they going to rely on God? Or are they going to give up? Well, you know, dynamically, that God worked it all out. There was a ram that got caught, not just by chance, by the way. He was there. And Abraham and Isaac both, praise God. Now, what do we learn from that? What is the author of Hebrews trying to get our attention to? It's this. Never let the circumstances of life wipe out the promises of God. Remember, that's what they're struggling with. That's what they're wondering. God, didn't you promise that you would bless your nation? That's who we are. And we're getting paddled on all sides. Well, we have the same. We're not, we're, we're separated by geography and time. But there's many ways in my life, maybe not in yours, but in my life, that I kind of wonder, God, you promised me in your word. You've, you've given me promises that, that portray the fact of it is that if I follow you, everything's going to work out okay. But it hasn't. Not in my eyes. But as you remember from the previous sermons, Pastor Steve reminded us that the blessings that God gives us doesn't necessarily meet our criteria. But it always meets his purpose and his plan. See, son, I do listen to you for some reason. And so that's what we have. From this last moment, this last portrait of Abraham, the author says, do not allow circumstances of life to wipe out the promises of God. God is faithful. Now we have three very quick portraits. Sort of like those pictures that you, you take and all of a sudden it spits out the, the picture at the end. I don't know what they call them, but anyway. They're not very big. And it takes time. You're there. Shaking it. Want to make sure you smiled when you're supposed to. But we have three quick portraits, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Now, why are they here? Well, specifically, when you look at Isaac, you, you, you come to realize that uh, in, in Genesis chapter 27, as it says in verse 20, let me read that for you in Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. That's it. One sentence. 
In Hebrew, it's about four words. In Greek, about five words. And we have it in a sentence form. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau for the future. Well, when you go back to Genesis chapter 27, there is a, let me say this as kindly as I can, a convoluted plan. Rebecca is in on this. What in the world's going on? How in the world is Isaac supposed to bless Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Rebekah get together on this. And they contrive a story. Esau's out hunting. Y'all got that. Rebekah says to Joseph, uh, I got a plan, Jacob. I got a plan. Let's dress you up hairy. Make you stink. Because dad can't see that good. And we're going to get the blessing for you. Now, in, in the providence of God, how does this make sense? How is it that God can bless a contrived plan that goes contrary to the culture of the time? Isaac is supposed to bless Esau. He's the oldest one. Yeah, they were twins. They came out together. You might remember Jacob had a hold of Esau's foot as they came out. But they switched it. Well, Whose plan was this? Was it God's? No. It was Jacob's and Mama. Did God know about it? Sure he did. He knows everything. Now, now you've got to think about what are the Hebrews? Why is that there? Why in the world would that one sentence be there? Well, you go and investigate Genesis chapter 27 and following chapters and you'll come to realize that God's plan will always be finished. Steve Green, who I used to follow, I've been to some of his concerts. Some of you young ones, you got no idea who he is. That's okay. But he would sing about God and God alone. And he would talk about all the works of man cannot diminish the plan of God. So what do we have here? Yes, even in this situation, God's plan and his purpose will be fulfilled. Now, if you're a first century Hebrew Christian, you got to wonder, 
with all of the chastisement, all of the problems we're going through, yet God still has a plan. And it's worthwhile following. Oh, my word, i got to move quickly here. we got Isaac blessing Jacob over Esau. Now we got Jacob and his grandsons, Joseph's two sons. And the same thing happens. The younger is blessed over the older. Shouldn't have been in their culture. In fact, when you go to Genesis chapter 48, you'll see Joseph trying to take his dad's hands and switch them. And Jacob said to Joseph, no, no, this is the way it's going to be. But there is an interesting phrase. If you catch it, as you begin to read, you come to realize that Jacob says you have to do what is right. You must do what is right. Now, why is this important? Well, earlier chapters of Genesis, specifically back in chapter 32, Jacob has a wrestling match with God. And he's winning. I can't even begin to imagine that. And he gets his hip touched. And all of a sudden, he's making arrangements to get an artificial hip. No, he walks around the rest of his life as a reminder of what God, but God did something else too. He gave him a name called Israel. Why is that important? Jacob had 12 sons who all became heads of the 12 nations that comprise Israel. And so when Jacob is there in Egypt with Joseph, and he is about to bless the younger than the older, he says, no, do not switch my hands. For God has me to do what is right. That gives you an indication of how he has changed from the conniver (laughs) to now the one who's determined to praise God. Doesn't that faith, doesn't that faith what it does to us? It changes us. It takes us from what people knew we to be to become what God wants us to be. Oh, don't lose heart, dear people. God has a plan. And I'm thinking it's coming to fruition pretty quickly. Oh, but last one, Joey. Well, better refer to him properly, Joseph. Joseph says an interesting thing. It says this, Joseph says in verse 22, 
By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instruction concerning his bones. What? All the life that Joseph did, everything that God used him, all that God blessed him with, and the writer talks about his bones? You got to be kidding me. Oh, but there's a purpose here. Don't focus too much on the bones. Focus on what Joseph had to say. It says in verse 22, this is the commentary. Joseph mentioned the exodus of Israel. He knew of the promise of another land. Egypt was only a holding place. It was also an instructional place. It was also a place that people, they wanted to be set free from. And Joseph said, do not bury my bones in some elaborate gravesite. That could have been his. Joseph was second command of all of Egypt. It was Joseph that God used to keep the nation of Israel safe. He got fed for seven years, remember? And yet Joseph said, don't bury me here. Put my bones in a box. Hide it under somebody's bed. And when the time comes, when God takes us out of here, make sure you take me with you. Because I want to be buried where God wants me to be. Faith has a way also of reminding us of what is yet to come. <laughs> it's the same type of faith that Noah had. It's going to rain. Noah, you're out of your mind. 120 years of building something that's not going to float. Oh, but it came. He saw something. He knew what God said. It's the same faith that Abraham and Sarah had. Get up from this land of comfort and go to a place that I'll show you. Don't get too comfortable there. Only live in tents. Do not build a city. And they did. It's the same thing that Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They saw things that no one else could see. Dear brothers and sisters, we live in a society that cannot see. But I've seen it. I've seen home. Well, I've read about it. I haven't seen it, but I've read about home. And when you talk to the world about it, they think you're nuts. That's not going to float, they say. That makes no sense. So what do we get from this? Can I just give you three quick things? I'll apologize to the junior church people later. Let me give you three quick applications of this. Number one. First, so far, their faith for us was characterized 
by a lofty vision. They were looking to a city not made by the hands of man, but by God. They were looking forward to that. So what do we do with that? Well, their ability to walk and hope went beyond world expectations. They had a different vision. Number two, very quickly. Their faith was marked by a passionate pursuit. They were not satisfied. They were not happy until they finally reached the place where God wanted them to be. And they weren't going to deviate from that whatsoever. It was a passionate pursuit. They had a deep down determination to embrace the eternal over the temporal. I like it when that statement came across my desk. They wanted to live beyond the temporal, to focus on the eternal. Lastly, third, (coughs) excuse me, their faith demonstrated a selfless abandon, which means a willingness to release all earthly things for the sake of following God's will. That's what they wanted. A walk of faith at times can be as you reach out your foot to touch the water. How cold is it? Is it suitable? Is the ground steady enough for me? And then we begin a step. We call them baby steps. But pretty soon when you walk with Jesus by faith, you realize that the foundation can hold it all. And you begin to take adult steps, growth. I, at times, maybe have taken too many baby steps. But I'm glad that God, who is rich in mercy and grace, says, at least get in the water. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, you are to be glorified. You are to be praised for all that you have done, all that you're willing to do all that you're going to do. All worship belongs to you. And these examples, these portraits that we've seen are to help us to walk a walk of faith. And when we get to moments of discouragement, when we get to moments of despair, let us look, O Lord, to these portraits And ultimately, when we get to the next chapter, the author of Hebrews says, look unto Jesus, who is the ultimate one to follow. Thank you for your word. Bless it for your purpose and for your glory.
And may we at least get in the water. And we'll praise you. Amen.